artwork is self-revealing. A work of art always says something about the artist. Artists often seek to convey a message with their work, that's certainly the case, but their artwork also conveys a message about them. Whether it is an oil painting or a marble sculpture or a bronze monument of some sort, it might be a musical composition, an architectural design, or something even as simple as a sewing project or a wood project, even a child's finger painting, I think, to some degree, reveals something about the artist. Whatever the art form, we learn something about the artist in his or her creative work. And so it is with the creator of the universe. God did not flippantly, arbitrarily call into existence this world. The physical universe reflects the nature and the character of God. Sky and sea, mountain and plain, birds and animals, trees and flowers, from the atom to the uncharted reaches of space, God's creative handiwork reflects to a degree who He is. Now, do you remember from the life of Jesus, can you remember times when he drew upon the illustrations that are there in nature? What could we fill in here? He drew upon lilies painting a field. He drew upon the illustration of sparrows flitting about from tree to tree. He drew upon grapevines and olive trees and mustard seeds and salt and water and light. And we could go on and on with the list. What we may not as readily perceive is that Jesus was not merely seeking something visual by which to picture the truths he was teaching. He was certainly doing that. But I believe that Jesus saw spiritual realities woven into the fabric of creation by the Creator. There's something in salt that says something about God. There's something in the lilies of the field that says something about the Creator and how He thinks and who He is. And so it is highly significant that when God turns to nature to illustrate truth about our relationship to Him and about our relationship to one another, that God repeatedly employs the figure of sheep and their shepherds. God created sheep. They did not evolve into what they are. He created sheep. And since he repeatedly uses the shepherding theme as a metaphor for our relationship to him and to one another, it is beneficial for us to understand this image that we might better know God and pursue the life that he has given us as his people. To that end, I'd like to start this series of sermons by reminding us as we strive to close the gap between our culture and ancient Israeli culture, to remind us of, the, uh, of what this image is saying, to understand it a little bit better. And there is a tremendous gap between us, isn't there? Few people living in Western culture know anything about raising sheep. And we know even less about practicing shepherding. Or shepherding practices. By contrast, the Israelis were what we refer to as a pastoral people. Shepherding was everywhere in their very eyes. Shepherds and sheep were part of the social and economic fabric of the holy nation. Sheep were used as money. They were used for food, for clothing, for blankets, for storage bags, and leather, and wineskins, and water bottles, and tents, and as sacrificial animals. They were used while they lived, 
They were used in death. And so it's not without reason that a family's wealth was often determined by the number of sheep they had. We determine our wealth in this culture by the number of bucks we have. They determined it by how many sheep they owned. And so it is that flocks and shepherds dotted the landscape of Palestine. And the enterprise of shepherding was woven into the fabric of the culture. Let's think then for just a moment about the characteristics of sheep. Remembering that this is an animal that God created as He created it. It did not evolve, did not become a domesticated animal. It was created the way it was created. What are the characteristics of sheep? First of all, they are vulnerable animals. Sheep are docile, simple creatures, easily frightened. They elicit no fear from man or beast. Sheep were created virtually defenseless. When attacked, they run from danger. But they are much slower than their predators. Unaided, their only safety is in numbers, and that some will escape the danger. They are particularly agile, they're not particularly agile creatures. They're given to being injured, often to breaking their slender legs. So they're very vulnerable. They're very dependent. Unlike other livestock, sheep have no real sense of direction. They cannot find their way home, and when you drive them, they just panic. When it comes to direction, sheep must be led. They must be led to water. They must be led to forage. They must be led to shelter. They must be led out of harm's way. And because of this innate vulnerability and utter dependence, sheep depend on their shepherds. The shepherding task is then a life-dominating occupation. Let's think of that for a moment. This is the characteristics of sheep. Let's think of the functions of the shepherding task. First of all, it's marked by the shepherd is to be a watchman and a protector. Shepherds were required to render constant vigil. The ancient Israeli shepherd had to protect his flock against storms and swollen streams, these wadis, that, uh, these uh, dry beds that would fill up with water. They had to be careful that the flock was not there. They'd be washed away. They had to guard them against robbers and natural predators such as birds and lions and bears and especially wolves. So they were watchmen and protectors. They were guides and providers. Sheep forage, as we mentioned, for their food, meaning that the shepherd must lead the flock to fruitful pastures. Likewise, it was the shepherd's job to water the flock at least once a day. And often this took place at a well where the shepherd drew water from the for the entire flock at a midday, and then the flock would often take a nap after getting some water. A guide and provider. The shepherd needed to be a savior and a physician. Shepherds were required to, to bind up these broken legs that the sheep so often get and to deliver the young and sometimes to carry them until they were able to walk. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Most sheep prefer to stay near the shepherd, but there are certain sheep who tend to wander at the fringes of the flock and to get lost and to get hurt, often stumbling breaking a leg, getting stuck in a thicket, falling down into a crevice between it, in the rocks. At times a sheep will wander so far as to even get lost, and the shepherd will need to go after the sheep. Watchman and protector, guide and provider, savior and physician, and then friend and companion. A shepherd develops a guttural call that only the sheep understand. 
And no other shepherd is the goal, and no other shepherd would be able to even imitate that call, but the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice and come to that call. And there's a friendship, a, a, a commonality, a oneness that develops. Shepherds commonly name their sheep. Many will play music to soothe and to comfort the flock. It is then a shepherd's job to, I guess we could say, hang out by day with the sheep and in the right seasons, in the due seasons, to sleep out at night under the stars with the flock, a friend and a companion. So let's remember, sheep did not evolve. God created sheep to function in a particular manner. He purposefully designed the sheep-shepherd relationship and he providentially established his people Israel as a pastoral people. Now we're going to look at that theme in particular quite a bit more tonight. It's a very intriguing theme. But let's consider that Israel was established as a pastoral people. And it is then of great significance that God uses the shepherding theme to reveal to us the nature of his relationship with us. Psalm 23 most of the headings in our English Bibles are, are actually supplied. They are not part of the original reading, of the original text. But here we have, as you see, a psalm of David, and this is actually part of the original text. It's found in the Hebrew text. So God chooses to tell us that this is a psalm of King David. Now, do you think it is mere coincidence that God tells us David wrote this psalm and that David was a shepherd at one time? I don't think that's any coincidence. We remember that David's experience as a shepherd launched him onto the scene in Israel. He learned how to use a slingshot defending the sheep, and then he came and defended God's flock, Israel, against Goliath with his slingshot. But God ordained that David's occupation as shepherd also serve as a symbol of his spiritual exploits. Is it an just coincidence that King David is listed here as the author? Let's go back to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, keep your finger there in 23, but we'll get right back to that. But Psalm 78, notice what is said here in this psalm concerning David. Psalm 78, in verse 70. Speaking of God and his relationship to David, Psalm 78 and verse 70. God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. Now the first part of that, verse 70, and the first part of verse 71, we could say is just historical note. God took David from watching sheep. That's just, that's just history. But notice what the psalm does with that. He took him from tending his father's sheep to be the shepherd of his people, that is God's people, Jacob, of Israel, God's inheritance. Verse 72, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart. He shepherded the people of Israel. And the connection is made very clearly to his shepherding of literal sheep. He shepherded them with the integrity of heart, with skillful hands. He led them. Back to Psalm 23, we pick up what the psalmist says here then about the Lord and from the pen of this shepherd boy who became the shepherd of Israel. 
the under-shepherd. And again, more on that theme tonight, Lord willing. But we read here, first of all, by simple proclamation, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He uses the Hebrew word Yahweh here concerning Lord, the name of God commonly used to emphasize his fidelity to the covenant. Yahweh is my shepherd. It was common for ancient Near Eastern shepherds to contract with their sheep owner. The shepherd would assume responsibilities for a certain number of sheep. You read often in the Old Testament of sheep shearing time. That was a time when the shepherds would come back The wool was thick and full, and the sheeps would be shorn at that time, and that was also the time of establishing a new contract between the sheep owner and the under-shepherds. So there was this contract that depended upon the fidelity of the shepherd to bring back the number of sheep that he took out, in fact, to bring more back as they would bear young. I think it is also then important to understand here that this word Lord is the word for covenant loyalty, the the name of God that speaks of His fidelity to His covenant. Think of it, says David, the Lord is my shepherd, the covenant-keeping, promise-honoring Lord of heaven and earth has taken responsibility for me. He is right now the one shepherding me. The Lord is my shepherd. This is not a cold theological calculation. This is personal realization. David proclaims with confidence and joy that God is his shepherd. This is imagery God employs throughout Scripture to illustrate who he is. Genesis chapter 49, 24 refers to God as the shepherd of Israel. Hebrews 13, 20 refers to Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep In John 10, he speaks of himself as the good shepherd. 1 Peter 2.25 speaks of the shepherd of your souls in reference to the Lord. And in 5.4 of the chief shepherd once again. Psalm 80 in verse 1. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, cries the psalmist. You who lead Joseph like a flock. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Jeremiah 31, and verse 10, The Lord will watch over His flock like a shepherd. It is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. But what does it mean? In the pastoral Hebrew culture, it meant generally that God, as we've noted, watches over and protects, guides and provides, rescues and loves and cares for His people. This is who God is. But David specifically narrows the implications down here to two main themes. We find the second half of verse 1, the first. The implications, first of all, God will provide my every need. That's what it means. The Lord is My shepherd. This means I shall not be in want, says David. I shall not be in want. I shall not be in need. Because the Lord was his shepherd, David concluded with absolute confidence that God would provide his every need. I'm thinking here as I write. The Lord is my shepherd. And if the Lord is my shepherd, I cannot possibly lack anything. 
It says to us, I don't need better looks. I don't need to be more popular or successful. I don't need a better mate. I don't need wealth and prosperity. I don't need better health. I don't need anything but what God gives me. I might like it. It might be gracious and good if He changes some of our circumstances, but if He is, in fact, my shepherd, I need nothing because He is providing for my life. And of course we understand here there's a lot of problems we can get into and a lot of needs that we can create because of our own sin. And that, of course, is our, our, our lack sometimes that we need to fix by His grace as He continues to lead us. But when it comes to what God has brought into my life, I have no need. Do you have that kind of faith? Could you sit down and write a psalm and say, The Lord is my shepherd. And the only conclusion then is that I have no need. This is what David decides, what he comes to in his conviction. It's evident in his writing. Is it evident by the way that you live that you have that peaceful confidence in God? That you can say, the Lord is my shepherd and I have no needs. Beyond what he provides, I have no need. If you cannot say that, then may I suggest that the Holy Spirit has just put His finger on a spiritual problem in your life that must be fixed. And in mine. Are you resting in the confidence that God will supply your every need? David narrows this focus further when he says, verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He will supply my every need. I will have no want, generally, now, specifically. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep need to be directed to rest. And when the great shepherd of souls makes you lie down, he settles you on fresh, tender, green grass. In Palestine, sheep are not fed at troughs or in pens. They're led by their shepherds to forage for their sustenance. I've used the illustration before in the winter of 1910 and 11, northern Syria was blasted with three feet of snow. It was 1910 and 11 because that doesn't happen very often. A long time ago, but in that three feet of snow, hundreds of thousands of sheep perished. And the singular reason was they couldn't get food. It was all below the snow. The point is that our shepherd God nurtures our souls with spiritual food and rest. That's the kind of God that He is. He leads us to green pastures where we can eat and feed and be nurtured. It says then next that He leads me beside quiet waters. Responsible shepherds, as we mentioned, water their flocks once a day, but sheep become very uneasy if they're led to water that is flowing rapidly. And so the point is that God is the kind of shepherd who purposefully leads us to a place of quiet retreat where we can refresh our souls. Now it might be in a traffic jam doesn't mean that it's necessarily physically taken away from this world. That can be a wonderful opportunity for us. But it means that within our soul, as He nurtures and leads us, there are places that He brings us to rest, to come apart, and to water, 
There are times when our souls are beaten down by the blistering heat of criticism or failure. There are times when disappointment and futility leave us parched and hopeless. But our God is the kind of God who sees to it that our souls are refreshed with cool, clear, spiritual water. And as His people, He leads us away from the troubled, rushing, dirty streams of hopeless confusion and aimless purposes that we find in this world. He satisfies the desperate thirst for meaning and forgiveness. Because Yahweh is our shepherd, we can drink at peaceful waters and quench our soul's deepest thirst. Because God is my shepherd, I can know that He will provide my every need. Secondly, God will guide my every step. He will provide and He will lead. He will guide, He will provide my every need. He will guide my every step. The second part of verse 3, He guides me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. God loves His flock such that He shows them what is morally right and beautiful and leads them in that direction. For God's sheep, life is no journey into the unknown. It is a clearly marked path leading to righteousness and revealed to us by our Lord. And this journey is not designed to deprive us of joy. God leads us on this moral path. Why? What does the text say? He guides me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. The righteous path on which God leads us is so beautiful, so liberating, so spiritually invigorating that it brings honor to His name. It shows His greatness. He leads us there for His name's sake. He leads us in paths of righteousness so that His name is made great. That's what we're doing here this morning as God's people. We gather as the sheep of God to magnify Him for leading us into the life of righteousness. And God's guidance goes beyond just pointing us to righteous ways. It protects us when that journey becomes difficult, because it does. There are times when He brings us to rest in the green grasses next to the cool, still waters, but there are other times when our shepherd leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so it reads in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In the darkest, scariest, most hostile situation, David says, I will not fear. Why is that? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's why I won't fear. Remember verse 1? David is writing, contemplating, meditating, thinking, the Lord is my shepherd. I have this conviction. What does it mean? I will never be in need. If he truly is leading me, this is the only conclusion. I will never be in need. He does the same thing here. If the Lord is my shepherd, I need never fear. If that's really who he is, seeing God as his shepherd, David concludes, there is no reason to fear. If God is your shepherd, you can confidently say that even in the darkest valley, under the most hostile circumstances, even as you stare into the face of death, God is with me. The shepherd's rod was used for clubbing predators and the staff for controlling the sheep. In like manner, God protects and guides His people, and that is a comforting thought. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. Ezekiel said it this way in chapter 34, As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. So will the Lord look after his sheep. Let's go to Isaiah 40. The psalmist at verse, at, uh, verse 5 in, chap, uh, in Psalm 23 switches to a different theme. Let's go to Isaiah 40. We do not have time to really lay out the context of this great chapter very carefully, but let me just say that Isaiah lived well before the Babylonian captivity, but he prophesied that God would use the Babylonians to capture, to take captive Judah. But in chapter 40, the book turns to the future mercies of God. There's all of these warnings of judgment in the first 39 chapters, but in chapter 40, Isaiah says, God will treat us with mercy. There's a day in the future. Israel lived well before the Babylonian captivity, but here we look ahead, not to judgment, but to blessing. So Isaiah prophesies that God will lead His people back to Jerusalem and will care for them there, and then presses out even beyond that to the future Messiah who will come and lead God's people and reign from Jerusalem. So we find verse 1 very fittingly, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. There is judgment coming. There is captivity coming. But there's comfort as well as we look into the future. Go to verse 9. As he thinks now prophetically of this future blessing in the Messiah's reign, you who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. The picture here is of Israel receiving Messiah as he proceeds upward to Mount Zion. And the heralds are summoned here to lift up their voices on the heights and to let everyone know, here comes the Lord. Here is your God. Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Two of the same ideas, his reward for those who do wrong, judgment for those who do good, blessing, his recompense, the same idea. He will punish the wrongdoer, he will reward the righteous. The picture here in verse 10 is of a Messiah's kingly reign. You see the phrases, sovereign power, arm that rules, rules with power. His reward, his recompense, he's the righteous judge. So we have here great majestic words of the Messiah's kingly reign. But those words now turn softly toward this theme of the great shepherd. He, this same one who is the great king, tends his flock, I'm in verse 11, tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Once again, the image that Scripture paints of our Lord is the picture of a shepherd who tenderly cares for his sheep. He gathers them in his arms and carries them close to his heart. This too is the Messiah. This too is our God. So let's think for a few moments. God made sheep. He created them as directionless, defenseless, dependent creatures. 
And throughout his revelation to us, God pictures us as sheep and depicts himself as our shepherd. We'll say more about this, but we need to be cautious here. This is not a demeaning picture. The emphasis of the sheep-shepherd relationship is always on the shepherd and the type of relationship that the shepherd takes with the sheep. Not to say that God's people are all dumb people and defenseless and scare nobody or something like that. That's not the point of it. We are all pictured as his sheep, but he is our shepherd, the one who provides this care for us. And that theme pervades throughout Scripture. We should remember also that this is not the only picture that the Bible uses to describe God. He is also described as our judge. He is also described as our maker. He is described as our master, our savior, our rock. And on and on the pictures go, for he is an infinite being and perfect in his relationship to us. But this is nonetheless a rich figure that is drawn in Scripture of our God. And where would we be without it? The themes could continue to roll of God as our judge and our rock and our maker and our master. But here is a term of intimacy and compassion and gentleness, yet matched as it is in the shepherding theme with protection and firmness. In fact, the one who will lay down his life to stand up against the predator. It's an amazing figure, and it is and depicts our God. God is shepherd, a rich metaphor that illustrates something vital about how the Lord relates to us and about how He perceives our relationship even with one another. More on that later. But there may be some here among us today, and you sense that you are a shepherdless soul. There's no one guiding and providing and protecting and leading and caring and nurturing and developing your inner being. You have a sense of lostness, of confusion. There's no comfort. May I say to you that the Lord is your shepherd. He's a shepherd we must receive. He is a shepherd that we must come to know. And there is a transaction that needs to take place between you and the Lord. But you're not going to find any other shepherd. I'd like to emphasize that theme further next week, Lord willing. As we consider all of the false shepherds in this world. There are many, but there is only one true shepherd. And that is God. The Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd. Come to Him. 1 Peter 2.25 says to, calls us to return to the shepherd of our souls. He is the shepherd of our souls. And for those of us who know him in this way, let's think about it again. God is my shepherd. What a great truth. He carries you close to his heart. He gently leads you in paths of righteousness. He's your watchman and protector and guide and provider and savior and physician and friend and companion. The Lord is my shepherd. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever crisis or difficulty threatens to undo your soul, remember God is your shepherd. And as his sheep... I ask this morning, are you reveling in that relationship? Is that a relationship, an idea, a theme that brings joy to your heart? Are you close to your Savior? 
Are you close to your shepherd? Or do you sense where you are today that you are wandering at the edges? You're wandering away from the priorities that your spiritual shepherd would have you establish in your life. You're wandering away from the thought patterns that he would have you to pursue. You're wandering away from the kind of speech that he would have you use. You're wandering away from the activities of life that would bring pleasure to him. You're wandering away from the fact that he is at the center of the flock and that safety and security come in your relationship to him. Are you wandering? The call that is out here for us very clearly in these texts and these passages is simply come back to the shepherd of your souls. Come back to him. It calls upon two responses. The first is repentance. Where our actions and our thoughts and our ways, where our lives are away from the Lord, the only answer is to turn and to come back. To come to the shepherd of our souls. It also calls upon us, on the positive end of things, to respond in faith. You see, these truths that David pens here are not just simply a zap from heaven that God said, write this on the page, the Lord is my shepherd. These are realizations that David came to by faith came to trust and have confidence in. Remember, this is the David that had to run from Saul. This is the David that spent so many years of his life as a lost lamb, it seemed. This is the David whose son raised up his hand against him and sought his life. Can you imagine your son seated on your throne having slept with, now don't imagine that part, I was going to say having slept with ten of your wives, but in that day that's what happened. Your son has done this. And there he is in the war council on your very throne, and they counsel how it is that we can best kill your father. And there is Absalom weighing between these two ideas. Should I kill my father this way or should I kill my father this way? Should I attack quickly or should I gather more troops and crush him to death against the Jordan River? And on and on it goes in David's life. There are times where he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. This is not some divine zap from heaven. Get this down, cold theology, the Lord is your shepherd. This is truth David had to believe. He had to trust it. He had to put his faith and his confidence in it. And you can walk out of this place here today and say, I know this already, the Lord is my shepherd, I know the Lord is my shepherd. It's not simply to know it, it's to believe it to be true. It's to believe in every event of life that you relate to him as his sheep and that he provides for you so that you will never again be in need and you will never need to fear because the Lord is your shepherd.
And it is on that theme and that rock that we build this entire series and this entire idea of shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you believe that? Are you living as if it were true? Let's walk out of here in faith. Not simply saying, I know he's my shepherd, but saying, I'm going to believe it to be the case. And I'm going to live a life as his sheep that shows that I trust my shepherd. And I am with him as I know he is with me. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, even as I stare into the face of death itself, the Lord is my shepherd and will shepherd my soul right into his very presence someday. Let's pray. For those of us who have come to know you, our Lord, as Savior, I'm sure that we don't even begin in this moment to perceive what a privilege and joy it should be of ours to say that you are our shepherd. God, acknowledging our lack of faith, acknowledging our lack of insight and understanding, We do rejoice together that you are our shepherd. We give glory and we give honor to you for fulfilling this role and responsibility in our lives, steering us. And I pray, Lord, then that you would now, through the conviction and the illumination of the Spirit of God, that you would help each one here to consider how this truth applies to them uniquely. Where is it that we are not trusting you as our shepherd? What could change in our lives if we began to do so? What joy should fill our heart when we consider that you are the shepherd of our souls? God, in the quiet of this moment, would you change us and, and move us and develop us to realize that this is not something just to know, it is something to believe, and it is something to experience. Draw to yourself anyone who knows you not as Savior, we pray, we plead with you to open blind eyes. And for those of us who are in the fog of sin as your people, may we come back to the fold. May we return to the shepherd as we know that you are seeking and finding us and bringing us back in. We thank you, God, for this rich theme, and we praise you in the name of our Savior for these truths that we've been able to revisit. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.